Welcome to the Sisterhood & Co. podcast. I'm your host, Harriet Blevins. This podcast is designed to empower, educate, and encourage women of all ages and stages of life in their walk with God. Our goal and intent is to provide you with the best content and topics relevant to your lives as Christians. We will have conversations with other leaders all along the way and discuss topics all of us want and need to hear. I'm so happy you're here, and I hope you enjoy the journey with me. How's everybody doing today? We had a full week last week. Who was able to go to the worship night on Thursday? Whoo, so good, right? So we're going to kind of slide right in behind that and begin to just continue to build, although we are going to recap some of what we've been talking about. We're almost through our journey, y'all. We've been going. This is week six on Life in the Kingdom. There has been a lot of information that we have talked about. We have unpacked a lot. And what is so cool about this topic, Life in the Kingdom, is that we are learning and we're becoming more awakened to that this is possible for us today on the earth right? All of this is possible. So I like to start always with a little recap and a prayer. So week one, repent, just like Nicole said. Repent. Repentance is the capstone. There is no move of God. There is no revival. There is none of that without repentance being the cornerstone of the move of God. It is what it is. It's the cornerstone we see of the kingdom of God because Jesus said, that's his very first word out of his mouth when he's doing his public ministry. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is a hand. Um, I think that's a, it's a something that all of us, sometimes, you know, when we go to church all the time and we're always, you know, doing Bible studies and we're doing all the things, all the things, the Christian things we know to do, sometimes these, these issues, we just sort of skirt around and we forget that we have to repent. We ha- you know what that means, to go back to the high place. Remember, we've talked about it before. It's not about you groveling. You know, you need to be sorry. Their, their tears of repentance are real, right? But repenting is about taking your thoughts and your minds back up to the original. You know what a penthouse is? It's the top, right? You go back to the highway of thinking and being in the kingdom. That's what repenting is. Remember who you are again. Remember whose you are again. Go back and get that handled. Then week two, Nicole taught on righteousness, peace, and joy. Uh, awesome message, how she broke all three of those down for us. I loved that message. If you didn't hear it, go back on the podcast and listen to it. The next week, we unpacked the issue of dominion, ruling, and reigning, and how that is our partnership with God on the earth. Mind-blowing, but that's our part that we play. The next week, we talked all about um, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' very first sermon, and just the beautiful way that the kingdom of God is upside down, right? So it's, you know, he goes through and talks about blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. He goes through and it's, it's everything in the kingdom is upside down. It, it's, not, it, it's not like everything on our earth. It's actually the total opposite of that. Then last week we laid the foundation of two things, testimony and the inheritance. Now, we talked last week. If you weren't here, go back and get that because you want to lay that groundwork before we get into what we're going to dig out today. Okay, because that is a very, each of those are very important pillars as to why um, or, or how we are to carry out this kingdom on earth today. Both of those pieces. So I want to pray now and get us going right into it. So Father, I thank you so much for our time this morning. Uh, Thank you for every woman that's here and gathered today. We thank you, Lord, that when two or more are together in your name, and we are gathered in your name today, Lord, that your promise is to be with us. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and move and do what only you can do. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We open it up today, not only before you, but in the presence of one another. And we ask that you'd feed us today from it, Lord. We just thank you and love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. So this week, we're going to dissect some of the signs, the wonders, and the miracles that that are in the Word of God that actually Jesus did. So we're going to pull those apart. Now, you remember last week, I told you put a placeholder, a bookmark in the book of Matthew. 
We kind of went away from that last week because we were establishing some other things. So today we're going to come back to Matthew. And um, I had told you in the first week, I broke the book of Matthew down just a bit for us so that we could begin to see Matthew, you know, who was a former tax collector, but how he his writing style, so to speak. So in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, that's where he, he put and laid in massive amounts of Jesus's teaching. He compiled his words into writing. If you look in your Bible, if you have a red letter edition Bible, you'll see lots and lots and lots of red letters all through Matthew 5, 6, and 7. There's a lot of it there. Then when we move on down to Matthew 8 and 9, what we begin to hear and see are the testimonies right? There's that word. The stories of how Jesus revealed all of these, um, the kingdom through these deeds that he did. He modeled for us what we're supposed to be doing. Um, it was, it, it's amazing when you begin to see it. And today we're going to pull it all, all apart. So I want to, um, First, start with a passage from another book before I begin to lay the groundwork. And I want us all, if you have your Bible, go to Mark 16, and we're going to begin in verse 14. I love to hear those pages turn. Verse 14 says, And afterward he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he approached them, sorry, he reproached them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. So here we see he's doing a little uh, correction, right? little redirection there. Verse 15 says, And he, being Jesus, said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. So where are they to go? To all the world. And preach to who? To all creation. I mean, that's like creations, like pets, animals. Y'all have any dogs or anything that you'd like to read the Bible to? I mean, Susan used to leave Otis at home with worship music on all the time. She's like, I'm going to let Otis worship while we're gone. I know. I'd be like, okay. I mean, and it did. It made him so calm. And he wasn't normally calm. It made him really calm. So then it says in verse 16, here we go. Are y'all ready to take a deep breath? He who has believed and been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. And these signs, say these signs, will accompany or follow those who have believed in my name. Sorry, those who have believed. In my name, they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not harm them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Now, Tim spoke about this passage. He touched on it on uh, Thursday night, if y'all were there at worship night. But if you go to the very next verse, in verse 19, it says... So then when the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. We, you, we talk about this a lot at Sisterhood. Where is Jesus? He is seated at the right hand of the Father. So who's here with us helping us? The Holy Spirit. We know where Jesus is seated beside the Father and he is making intercession for you and I right now, right in this moment. And it is just amazing. But we, this right here, this is his last words before going to heaven to be seated in all of eternity. That is a big, big, big deal. Remember how we talk about a lot of firsts? This last words are very important, especially when they're Jesus's words. So here's what he told them. And it's really important that we understand this whole passage I just read because it's easy to read the Bible and think you're reading a story about Jesus, But see, this is about us. This is what we're supposed to be doing. How do I know that? Well, Mark 16, 17 says, those who believe. Who believes in here? Who is that? If you're a believer, raise your hand. Yes, this is for you, if that's it. Then he makes this list. What's for those who believe? Here it is. Signs will accompany or follow your life. You will cast out demons. Anybody been casting out some devils lately? Because I'm going to tell you, sometimes I get after it. Right? 
You, there should be some times in your life when you are absolutely opening your mouth and sa- literally saying, not today, devil. And if you're not doing it, come see me afterwards and I'll teach you how to do it. You can't just sit down like you're going to pray because you're not praying to the devil. You got to open your mouth and you got to speak to him because he, he's not omniscient. He doesn't know your thoughts in your heart like the Lord does. So you got to say to him, hey, devil, I see you. I call you out today. I, I, put, I am putting on assignment. I, all the hounds of heaven are coming after you today. That's what we have to do. That's what this is talking about. Then he says you're going to speak with new tongues. Tim talked about that on Thursday night a long time. Then he said this, nothing dangerous or poisonous will harm you. COVID, anyone? Is that too soon? Is it, are we too soon for me to go there? I want y'all to think about what we did during COVID. I hope all of us have a little bit of, I'm embarrassed at myself. I'm not kidding. I really do. Because that was the biggest bunch of hoo-ha the world may ever have seen. This, my Bible says that we're going to pick up anything that's poisonous. It's not going to harm us. Now, I'm not saying we go out and like, go breathe on me, cough on me. Let me see. I'm going to put the word of God to tell. We're not doing that. But we need to stand in some kind of faith and go, even if, even if I ended up beside somebody that ended up having COVID, I'm going to be okay. Because if you're a Christian and I'm a Christian, we should believe that all of our days on this earth are numbered by the Lord and nothing can take us out before it's time. Nothing. Nothing. So, yes. So this part, just put, Put the pandemic in that part right there because it makes sense. Moving on. Laying hands on the sick and then it says, and watch them get better. Watch them get better. Watch them get better. Lay hands on the sick and they're going to recover is what it says. Now, all of this is a tall order and I want you to ask yourself, is my life in the kingdom marked by these things? It's kind of like when Nicole spoke on righteousness, peace, and joy, and we said if you're missing one of those, you're missing a third of the kingdom. If we're missing these parts in our life, then today is a new day to put some other uh, priorities in in your life in the kingdom to add some things in there. Because our life on earth, we skirt up against every single one of these things right here. All of them. All of them. I would dare say for most of us, our lives are not marked by this. Uh, myself included. But my prayer today is that you and I leave here and that in our minds we think this is actually what the normal Christian life is. This is what's normal. This is what's normal. This is not abnormal. This is not the exception. This should be the normal Christian life. So now we're going to go back to Matthew. And I want you to go to Matthew 8. We're going to start right in verse 1 at the very beginning. And I'm going to read a little bit of this, a little passage out of here to you. And when he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and bowed down to him saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And he, he, Jesus, stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Say immediately. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go, show yourself to the priest, and present the offering that Moses commanded for a testimony to them. And when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, entreating him, and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering great pain. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. Jesus said that. But the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, Roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now, when Jesus heard this, he marveled. 
And he said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. And I say to you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom shall be cast into the outer darkness. In that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, go your way, let it be done to you as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very hour. That is an awesome story. So what is happening here? In verse one, we see Jesus comes down from the mountain. Remember he was on the mount doing the sermon on the mount. So he gave this long sermon on the mount that we talked about the first part of a couple of weeks ago. And so then after that long sermon, he comes down from the mountain and he begins to, this is what happens. So in verse two, what happens? The leper approaches him in humility and asks for healing. In verse three, Jesus touched him and the manifestation of healing was immediate. It happened immediately. That is astounding. Jesus then gives him instruction. Uh, That was in verse 4. Then in verse 5 through 10, we see this centurion approach him. And he has what Jesus called great faith. It was, Jesus was stunned by it. The Bible uses the word he marveled at this faith of this man. In verses 11 through 13, Jesus takes the opportunity to teach the centurion. He's teaching him there a little bit. He's giving him more information, more teaching about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. He's teaching him there. Here's what it's going to look like. That's what he's telling him. And then verse 14 through 15, we see, um, wait, I don't think I went there yet. No, I haven't. Okay, verse 14 and 15, I want to read to you. It says, and when Jesus had come to Peter's home, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick in bed with a fever. And he touched her hand and the fever left her and she arose and waited on him or served him. So she was in bed sick with a fever. Now, this may really seem like, really? Because I kind of read that after the other two. I kind of read that, especially somebody with leprosy. I kind of read that and I was like, like, take a Tylenol, call it a day, right? Yeah, take a Tylenol and just, you know, do you, re- do you have to like, or we're, we're going to call on Jesus for your, fe- your fever. Like that's what we're going to do. But I absolutely love that that miracle is listed here. I love it because it shows that no matter what our issue is, no matter if we have leprosy, no matter if we have a fever or a headache or whatever, Jesus is still the healer. He is the healer. Now we're going to talk about today, we were talking about Sunday with uh, Pastor Ron and Pastor Norma, that, you know, I want to say this because I want y'all to hear me. Medicine is not a second class healing. Sometimes we need doctors and sometimes we need medicine, but why don't we go to the healer first? And that's what was happening here. How many of you know back then there probably wasn't very many doctors or very much medicine? You know, they didn't have, they certainly didn't have what we have today. So the healer was actually amongst them. And I love that. And then in verse 16, It says this, and when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon possessed and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were ill. And then it says in verse 17, in order that what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled saying, he himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. So Jesus delivered It uses the word cast out. Jesus delivered all that were suffering from evil tormenting spirits. Have you ever seen anyone tormented by an evil spirit? Because I have. And that is a a sad thing. It is an awful thing to actually watch. How did he do that? How did he cast that out? It tells us in verse 16, he cast the spirits out with a word. So he opened his mouth and he spoke to it. He didn't go into a prayer session because let me tell you, your prayer, your prayer posture is different. It's different than your warring posture. You got, you got two, when you are going into spiritual battle, you, you better take your stance 
and understand that I'm now I'm not praying anymore. When you're talking to the enemy, you open your eyes. Because I can tell you, Jesus wasn't closing his eyes here. He looked at the evil spirits, for, and it said many, many were tormented. And he looked at it, and with a word, he cast them out. With a word. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. And then it says, and he healed all. And you know, the definition for all is all. So we don't even know. We don't know if it's one, two, or three. We know that it was probably more than that, because it might have said a few. He healed all all that were ill, that were not at ease, that were diseased. He healed them all. It's amazing. I love it. So I want us to imagine for just a minute, Jesus truly walking across the bridge into Wilmington. Jesus himself walking down in through the city, through the city streets. Maybe he takes a ride on 17th Street, walks down past the hospital. All the multi-millions, if not billions of dollars worth of buildings and medical centers and research. What if Jesus walked all through Wilmington and healed all? What would some of us do with our day? I mean, Norman and I were talking this morning about a doctor's appointment. Because I feel like the older I get, I'm like, I got an appointment. I got another appointment. You know, I got to go get this cut off and that. I'm, I'm just like, right? Don't you feel that way? I, what would we do, y'all, with our time and our money if we weren't giving it all to the doctors? Wilmington should be like this because we are here. It should be the same as if Jesus was here. Now, I'm going to tell you, that's a lot to get in our brains. That's a lot for my brain to go, wow. But that's what this is actually saying. See, some of us would go, oh, I'll give you a ride to the doctor before we would say, let me lay hands on you and pray for you. Have you had somebody pray for you about that? Many of us would, because, why? Because it's because it's 17th Street is just strewn from one end to the other, right with the doctor's offices. That's where we go, right? Wouldn't that be something? Transformation. It would transform our entire, I mean, it's like one time, I don't remember, Susan, where, what, the Hebrides, the Welsh revival, where, what, you know what happened? Because the revival hit the prisons were empty. There's nobody in jail anymore because nobody was sinning and breaking the law and doing all the stuff. Everybody was getting saved. Isn't that awesome? So when Jesus shows up, it's a total, the whole place is transformed. That is what was happening here. That is what should be happening where we are, wherever we live. It's just, it's a lot right there. Again, Doctors, nurses, none of that second-class healing. God uses that. God gives the wisdom for a lot of that. But how many of you know some of that has gotten off track with a lot in a lot of ways? Every mountain of our society has been hijacked by the enemy. I mean all of it. Medicine, education, banking, the family, entertainment. I could go on and on and on. We've lost ground. See, medicine should be about preventing you and I from ever getting sick to begin with. But that doesn't make, because you don't have a drug you can sell. So you and I, y'all, we got to hack the system. We got, we got to learn how to do prevention for ourselves. We got to get smart. We, we got to go, okay, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn how to do this myself. I love this part of it. Okay, so ask yourself, might want to make a little note. Ask yourself, when is the last time I actually prayed for someone to be healed? Now, I'm not talking about that you sat down in your comfortable chair at home. I'm talking about that you were like, Clara, you don't feel good? Well, girl, let me, I've got some anointing oil. Let me pr lay hands on you and pray for you right now. We're going to believe God's going to move. Listen, y'all, I was so sick in the end of summer and the beginning part of the fall. Many of you know this, and many of you laid hands on me and prayed for me. And guess what? God healed me. 
I totally believe that. I don't think it's because I started putting silver drops in my water that I got better. I think it's because the, the, my friends and the body of Christ stood with me and prayed for me, and I got better. I truly believe that. This should become normal life for us. And I say all this so that we can awaken, almost like, whoa, like shake ourselves awake. That This is what it should be looking like. This is what it should be looking like. I love that. I think one of the reasons we're all astounded by what is happening at Asbury College is because, you know, and, and even I will, I will use the words in quotations lightly, we're wanting to chase down what that is. What is happening there is because deep inside the human heart, we all long to see a real move of God, right? All of us, we're like, I want to see that in my lifetime. I want to see that. But I want us to look back at a scripture kind of about that, that we've already covered. And I want to give just a little bit, a little instruction right here. So back to Mark 16. So I know we just talked about it. But it's, you'll see what I'm doing. We're going to go back there and just look at this. Mark 16, 17 says, And these signs will accompany, most versions say, follow those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons, speak with new tongues, pick up serpents, drink deadly poison. It won't hurt them. They'll lay hands on the sick. They will recover. Notice this. These are the signs that follow those who believe. And we've already established in this room, we are some of those who believe, right? <clears throat> We're part of the remnant here. But notice, we aren't to follow signs, wonders, and miracles. They follow us. They accompany us. We don't go chasing down the next move of God. They should be following us. If we're in alignment with this, that's what they should be doing. See, I think sometimes when we begin to follow every wind of doctrine, every whim, and every move of the Spirit, it can get many of us off the course that God has called us to. So we have to really know what God has called us to in this timing, in this hour. You have to know that, what you're supposed to be doing, because if not, you will just end up here and there and everywhere. And that's not what the Word says. That's not actual kingdom life. See, kingdom life is walking in testimony, laying hold of our inheritance, staying on mission. What is the mission? Jesus just said it. Our job is to lay hands on the sick. It's to cast out demons. It's to speak with new tongues. It is to participate in signs, wonders, and miracles. That is our part and then Jesus does his part, which is the doing of the miracles. We can't do that part. We only have our part, which is to stay on mission. And then he does his part. His part is to release the signs, the wonders, and the miracles that will accompany us or follow us. Don't get that backwards. Because, you know, you see a lot of se uh, sections of, I guess it, you would call it, um, spirit-filled, charismatic type believers, Pentecostal type believers that get into this and they get, oh, they love that. They just go one place to the other and they just chase the thing. And I'm like, man, if you will just get planted and you will stay in your lane and do what God has called you to do and do this, you lay hands on the sick, you cast out demons, you speak with new tongues, you, you know, pray for those to get well, anoint them with oil, do whatever you have to do to see that happen and, and watch the signs then follow you. We don't have to chase it. God will have it follow us. And I really feel like in this timing, that is a good reminder for all of us. Okay, we're going to go back to Matthew 8 because we're going to pick up where we left off and go to verse 18. Verse 18 says, now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side. Um, here we see Jesus skirting what I would like to call celebrity, right? 
He is, uh, he actually seems repelled a little bit by it, enough to move away from it and even depart from it is what the word says. Now, it doesn't tell us why he does that, but we can be our own Sherlock Holmeses and deduce a few things. I think one of the things is he is laying an example to his disciples what they should do in the future once he is not there physically with them anymore. Here's what I do when this, when this gets interesting, right? And, and all the people want to make me a celebrity. Here's what I do. I remove myself. The next thing I think is that he was all too aware of the human temptation, right? To believe in our fan base, right? He, he knew that. I mean, he didn't succumb to it, but he knew it because he was a human. He was fully human, fully God, so he understood there's a human temptation when there are fans to kind of get in it and stay in it. The last thing I think is he knew how fickle the human heart is. He knew that one day he may have fans and then they, you know, they love you one day and that the next day they're going to crucify you. He, he knew. He knew what was coming for him. And so he knew the fickle human heart. And so he moved away from that, verse 18 tells us. Um, see, Jesus is not a circus sideshow. He's not a one-trick pony. And that's what most and some, some of Christendom, especially in the West, has created. That it's like this show that you come watch and it's just, you know, like, oh, did you see how many people fell out? Did you see, you know, how many people, you know, it's, it's like it creates something that's, that's, I don't, I don't want to say not authentic, but you can see that Jesus, he's not doing tricks to get attention. What he is doing here is he is offering humans a new way of life. And he is saying, if you will come and follow me, I'm actually going to change everything you know about life on earth. Everything. That's what he's doing here as he's going through these towns and as he's walking about and as these people are following his life. That's what he's doing. He's saying, I'm showing you a new way, a new way that's different from anything. Then when you move down in Matthew 8, you can see verses 23 through 27. We know we've all studied that story of Jesus calming the storm. Remember, he's on the boat with his disciples. The storm comes up. And what, what is happening there is he's sleeping and they're freaking, right? I mean, they're just like, what is happening? Um, it, and then he calls them men of little faith. He actually calls them out. He, he, you can, you can, if you read through this, you see that Jesus is, I won't say Jesus is harsh, but Jesus is straightforward and direct. He is direct with them in his correction and his redirection. He's not mincing words. So he calls them men of little faith. That, that probably was like, oh, Oh, okay. That, so we're, do, we're doing all that. I mean, you know, I mean, I've been leading one of the um, freedom groups on Monday nights, and we have been discussing living from the two trees, living out of the two trees. Either you live from the, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or you live from the tree of life, one of those. So we, every, each week, I have been shocked as I've gone through my week, how many times I want to eat from the wrong tree. How many times I have to go, no, 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 that's the wrong tree. I'm in the wrong tree. I got to fix that. See, knowledge isn't bad. So they, had, they knew that there's a storm coming. They had knowledge of the storm was there upon them, right? That's, that's not bad. It just isn't life. So we can have one or we can have the other. That's what was happening. The disciples knew. They knew. They're like, here's a storm. It's upon us. That in and of itself is not a bad thing, but... The actual essence of life was sleeping on their boat. In their boat, y'all. In their boat. Life was in their boat. And they were still paralyzed in fear. That's, that's a word for somebody today. And Jesus rebuked them. He actually gave them a rebuke. And you know what? He rebukes us too when we live from the wrong tree. The Holy Spirit says, girl, what are you doing? Wrong tree, wrong tree. Okay, so this chapter ends 
with this story of the demoniacs. I've always thought that was so funny. It's like like a group from the 70s or something. Like, I don't know, the demoniacs. I just think that's something. But they are these two very violent men, my Bible says, and they are living among the tombs. So I don't know. So I'm going to read this to you, verse, verse 28. And when he had come to the other side of the country of the Gadarenes, two men who were demon-possessed met him as they were coming out of the tombs. They were so exceedingly violent that no one could pass by on the road. And behold, they cried out saying, what do we have to do with you, son of God? Now, were they saying a lie? No, they were saying the truth. They knew who he was, right? See, the enemy knows. He knows who Jesus is, and he knows who you are. And he knows what you carry. Have you come here to torment us before the time? They even knew that they're not eternal. They knew there's a time for them, and that their time's coming up. Now, there was a distance from them, a herd of many swine or pigs feeding, and the demons began to entreat him, saying, If you are going to cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. And Jesus said to them, Be gone. And they came out and went into the swine, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank and into the sea and perished in the waters. Wow. that This is the only known act that I could ever find anywhere, even in um, <clears throat> commentaries that listed that Jesus harmed or killed an animal. This is the only time that I ever could see it. And he cast these pigs, sorry, Bailey, she loves pigs, into the ravine, into the sea, and they died. They drowned there, or they fell to their death. The most striking part about this part of the story, though, is how he did it, because I want to ask you a question. Did he stop everything and call a prayer meeting? Did he call for a time of corporate deliverance? Need to gather everybody together. Did he, ha- did he have everybody pray and fast for a week? No. no. So he did none of those things. He said, in my Bible, it's one word, be gone. It was one word. He spoke, remember the other verse we read, he spoke a word. This time he spoke a word, a single word, be gone. Now, sometimes we give the devil too much credit, right? We do. We give him way too much. We just are like, oh man, he is just after me. Oh man, we are just in it. We are just, and we, and we just get so focused on the attack. And how many of you know the attack is real? I mean, we've had seasons in our life where I'm like, I don't know if we can do one more arrow coming into this camp. I don't know how we're going to extinguish it. I mean, I, you know, that's how life comes at you like that sometimes. And the enemy knows, he knows when you're tired. Let, let me give you a little pro tip. He loves to wear out the saints of God. So the tireder and more exhausted we are, the more of, an, of, a, of a bullseye he puts on us. So make sure even if your physical body's tired, that you keep your spirit woman strong and built up. You become less of a mark for the enemy to want to hit. You become a shiny mark, as Corey Ten Boom used to say. You become a shiny mark when we get tired and exhausted. And so he knows that. So we sometimes think, though, we have to have a game plan, a strategy, uh, and sometimes God may call us to do that. I I told y'all back in the fall about a day that I had uh, where I I took, I I took, set my phone aside. I told all my family, I told everybody, I was like, this, I'm going to the courts of heaven tomorrow. I have some things I need to take before the Lord, and it took me all day long because I was cleansing bloodlines. I was getting some stuff handled that needed to happen. And I, nobody could interrupt me during that time. I just needed to get that done. I needed to go back generations. I needed to repent of some things. I needed to get some things under the blood. I needed to do all of that. So I needed a game plan and a strategy, and I got one. But how many of you know that's for certain times? That's not for, I couldn't do that every week, y'all. I don't even have enough time to do that. So God does not expect us to do that all the time. He expects us to follow the model that Jesus gave. That's what he expects for us to do. God may call us to do strategies and game plans from time to time. There may be something that he, that he calls us to do. Jesus went out into the desert. He fasted 40 days, right? We know he had a game plan there. 
We know he was doing, he had a strategy. He was working there. God may call you to do that, but that will come to an end and then you'll get back to your regular life. Jesus was in the desert 40 days, not 40 weeks, not a year, not months, 40 days. That was it. Then he went back to his regular life and got busy again, right? We saw that. But one word, be gone, and this was handled. And that is something. It's actually very exciting for you and I. Bill Johnson has a quote. um, He's been known to say this before, that you just have to look at the devil long enough to pull the trigger. We don't need to study him, profile him. We don't need to go into all. We just need to go, I see you. That's all we have to do. Be gone in Jesus' name. That's it. It's over. We don't need to do all the, all the other things all the time. We, it shouldn't be this big ordeal because our inheritance is freedom. So God's waiting on us to just give us, he's like, I just need y'all to step into what I've already given you. So here's how we access that, our inheritance. So what, if any, are the obstacles today to us seeing signs, wonders, and miracles? Because I just said, most of us don't see this marking our everyday lives, do we? Like this, not like what I just read to you. So what obstacles are they? And I think, and when I read this to you, you're going to understand. I think our obstacles today are exactly what they were then, except for now we cannot see them walking around with robes on down to the ground and tassels hanging off of them. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. So as we uh, move along to Matthew 9, we begin to see that the religious ones begin to step into the picture. And you've seen that a little bit with the Asbury move, you know. Now you're beginning to hear people say, I don't really think that's a move of God. If that was a move of God, then this would be happening and that would be happening. And I just don't think that's a move of God. And that's what the religious prideful people, they're always hanging out on the outskirts, kind of peeking in from their high place, kind of like, I'll I'll let y'all know if that's real or not. I'll let you know. I got this. And that's what's happening. Now we're beginning to hear people, people writing entire opinion pieces about whether or not they think that's a real move of God. Well, guess what? That's not any of our job. That is not our job. Our job is to say, more, Lord, more, and do it in me. That's our job. Do it here and bring more to them and be joyful that people are getting healed, delivered, set free. Like what in the world? Why sit? I saw somebody yesterday. I saw this on Facebook, which was my first mistake. But I saw this on Facebook and I was like, This is unbelievably sad to me, but what they posted was the Asbury Revival, pictures of it, and then they wrote, this seems a little culty to me. I did too. I just deleted that. I did. I just was like, okay, I'm all done. I don't don't need to, that's not bringing me joy, (laughs) as Marie Kondo would say. (laughs) This is not bringing me joy anymore. I'm just going to unfollow it. But I mean, who do we think we are? To sit on the sidelines and go, well, this minister and that minister, what are we doing? I even saw a few people that were like, you know, well, I'm going to go and let you know what my... I'm like, listen, we know Vince and Vicky were there, and she said she saw a sunbeam coming through. So I was like, there's a sunbeam. I know Vicky saw it. I mean, I just, I mean, seriously, I, it's just been crazy to me. But they were the Pharisees. If you don't know who the people with the long robes are back then with the tassels, they were the Pharisees or the teachers of the law. And there was a whole other sect of them called the Sadducees because they were sad, you see. They were sad. <laughs> They were, but they were the ones who taught and they were the leaders of, and they taught the law and they were the ones that, that kind of, they, they were so self-important, right? So self-important. So let's go to verse nine and I want to read beginning in verse, uh, chapter nine, verse nine. And as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax office and he said to him, here we go again, follow me. And Matthew rose 
followed him. I guess he just got up from his little calculator. He probably didn't have a calculator, but you know, and he followed him. Verse 10 says, and it happened as he was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why is your teacher eating where the ta- with the tax gatherers and the sinners? There, there you see it. Notice, notice, you will always find these people. They always want an audience with the men and women of God, and they will always be on the skirts of the church somewhere, somewhere. Then it says in verse 12, but when he heard this, Jesus, he said, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician. It's those who are sick, but go and learn what this means. And then he says an an old prophecy from the Old Testament, I desire compassion and not sacrifice for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And then the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. But no one puts a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment and a worse tear results. Nor do do men put new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wineskins burst and the wine pours out and the wineskins are ruined, but they put new wine into fresh wineskins and both are preserved. Now, these guys are fun, aren't they? This crew standing on the outside looking in, right? You know, it's that whole, uh, What? remember there was a, there's somebody that has that whole monologue about the guy in the arena, the man in the arena, you know, Teddy Roosevelt did that. And it was, it was about, you know, there's, there's only, only the people who are in a move of God like this can, can really speak to it. You know, you can't sit on the sidelines because we're not in the arena, and speak into it. So I love it. But they are always these voices. Here's the obstacles back then and today. Always these voices. They're self-righteous voices and they want an audience of sorts. They want something to be heard. They want someone to listen to them. And you know, when we first planted the church, it's been almost 19 years ago, Tim had two different local pastors that asked to meet with him. And they found out that we were doing healing services at our church. Now, this is when we had a building that we could get into more. And you'll see when we move into the new building that we will begin to have healing services more and worship nights more. But where we were praying for the sick, we were casting out demons, and we were speaking in tongues. So we were doing all the things. And these two, these guys that were pastoring two other churches here in town, they were losing their minds. Now, I'm not kidding you. They were losing it. They were terrified of this move of God. They were terrified of it because you know what? They thought it would threaten their territory. It was going to threaten their influence. See, if God broke out over here and started doing something, what does that mean for them? That's what they were thinking. So now they didn't say that, of course. You know, they, they, that's not what they said. They said they were very concerned. They were so concerned about us. They were very concerned about Tim. They were so concerned about our flock, and they sounded very religious and very, very righteous. They even had some Bible verses. And they would say these words to Tim. They did say these words to Tim. Please stop praying for the sick. You are only giving people false hope. That's what they told him actually asked for a meeting with him and said those words. You are giving people false hope. And that is very dangerous, Tim. You don't want to do that. The other one called him a heretic right to his face. And they said, as long as I'm pastoring in this town, I will tell anyone who listens to never go to your church because it is a dangerous place. Fun guys, aren't they? (laughs) Whoo, those Pharisees. Isn't that crazy? But that is a true story. Those are both true stories. That happened within two years of us getting out. Pastor Ron, he was always calling to check on us and see how they could help us And at the rock. They were always helping us and always praying for us. But I'm not kidding. That actually happened to us when we moved here. Like we were like, I'm, I'm sorry. Like what is going on? Like did you just call us a heretic? Like that is a, that's big. You know, that's just a big situation. But that's no different than what the Pharisees were doing. I mean, no different. 
And so what did Jesus do about it? He addressed it, right? And then he just kept on doing signs and wonders and miracles. And signs and wonders and miracles. This is awesome. He kept establishing his kingdom on the earth. And that's what we're supposed to do. That is what we're supposed to do. I love that so much. It's just so good. That's what he calls us to do today. Okay, now remember our scripture last week um, from Jesus himself. And I'll read this to you. It is from John 14. So I wanted to give you lots of scripture today so that you could go back and, and read it. John 14, 12 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes, there's that word again, in me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Remember what all Jesus did? Like, y'all, he raised the dead. I don't know what's greater than that. But he said we're going to do greater works than he did. So maybe it means we're going to raise a whole bunch of dead people. Like, I don't know what that means, but that is something. I don't know about you, but I want that. I want my life to be marked by this. That's what I want. And Jesus didn't have time to stop and throw shade at his haters. Like, you know, like paying attention to every little dog that barks. Like, who has got time for that? Like, if we're doing kingdom stuff, we just don't have time to deal with all that. Just like, I'm sorry. This is, not, this is not on my agenda today. <laughs> I'm going to need to put that aside and keep going. We just don't have time for it. Okay, back to Matthew 9. I'm going to read a little bit more. I know I'm going back and forth. Just hold your finger there in 9 when we go back and forth. And I'm going to start in verse 32. It says, And as they were going out, behold, a dumb man, demon-possessed, was brought to him. I want to make sure I'm getting the right one. Yep, this is it. And after the demon was cast out, the dumb man spoke, and the multitudes marveled, saying, nothing like this was ever seen in Israel. But the Pharisees were saying, he casts out the demons by the ruler of the demons. And Jesus was going about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And seeing the multitude, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. Verse 37 says, he then said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. Now, most of us have always read that passage and thought about evangelism, right? Get a tract, you know, have something to hand out to people that don't know Jesus because we've got to lead people to Jesus. Yes, that is part of the harvest. But look at what was happening just before. What was he doing? He was going about the cities, teaching, proclaiming at the kingdom of God. He was healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. That's what he was doing. That's what he's talking about. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We've forgotten to do some of this stuff. That's actually what he was saying. So notice though, the Pharisees, there's that one little part in there, verse 34, but the Pharisees were saying, he casts out demons by the rulers. They just had a little bit of boop, got a little interjection in there. They can't even muster an ounce of joy for the people getting healed. You know why? Because they don't care about the people. They only care about themselves and their power and their influence. That's all they really care about. They don't really care about them. They don't really care about the flock. It threatened, that kind of thing threatened their very influence and their power. And that's what they lived for. That was a big deal to them. Wasn't about the people they were leading. They clearly cared nothing about them. It was always about them. Anytime you see, and the Pharisees, notice how it always comes back to them. The Sadducees too. Always came back to, it was about them. Wasn't about the people right? Really wasn't even about Jesus. Why they were mad at Jesus is he was a threat to their power. He was a threat to them. That's so, I mean, they even said that what Jesus, Jesus's ministry, what he was doing was led by the ruler of the demons, Satan himself. That's basically what they said to him. I mean, we, we should not be shocked when we get that kind of pushback too from the religious crowd. I want to tell you something here at Life Church. We have never had an issue with the unsaved. They come in, they love the atmosphere, they get saved quite quickly, they begin a new walk with the Lord. It's always been the religious crowd 
that has always got something to say, a criticism, a judgment. Well, I just don't know about that. Always. It's the religious spirit, and it absolutely hates this church. And that's been from the very beginning. It's, it's something that's marked our church because we have stood up against that in this region. We've just stood and looked at it. Now, we've had it come in over and over and over again and over and over again. We just keep raising up the stand. All we keep doing is just doing the, the stuff. We just want to keep doing what Jesus did, right? Because they don't know. The Pharisees didn't know. They were, just, they were, they were responding to their training, that's what they were doing. They had been trained in the law, so that's what they were doing. That's what many people are doing because they don't know. They've just been in religious institutions, and they've just been in it for so many years. That's all they know. They don't know this freedom. They don't know the beauty of the kingdom. They just don't know all that. Um, so, you know, these, these guys, they were like bold and stupid at the same time. I'm talking about living out of the wrong tree. I'm like, wow, y'all need, but you know what? It's that passage, knowledge puffs up. Knowledge puffs up. Yeah. Wrong tree, Pharisees. Wrong tree. Okay, so Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to wrap it up now. Jesus calls his followers to the harvest, and we hear what we know what the harvest is. He laid it out. And then this happened in chapter 10, verse 1, Matthew 10. And having summoned his 12 disciples, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. That's y'all. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Yes, we all are. That's what he does. He gives us authority over that. That's part of our dominion that we learned about in week three. Isn't that awesome? I love it so much. So I'm going to leave you with that today. We covered all kinds of ground. So here we're going to go into, oh, yes, right on the minute. We're going to go into our small groups for about 15 minutes. And um, here's the question I want y'all to go around and answer today. Have you ever personally laid hands on someone and prayed for them to be healed? Yes, I want y'all to tell. I mean, some of you've done it so many. I mean, Mary Ann Redden, you've prayed for multitudes of people to get healed. But go around, because you know what? This is some... How many of you know you had a new day too when this was all new to you? Yes, yeah, so this, this may be new information for someone. So if you're new and if you have never prayed for someone, listen and be encouraged to those around you who have stepped out in faith to do that. And then we'll come back together in just a minute. I got a closing for you. Okay, so how many of you know we cannot just talk about this? We got to do it. We got to do it. So I want to ask anyone today who feels like you need a touch from heaven, that you need the kingdom. It may be a place of healing. Um, it may be a place that you are even standing in proxy for someone else for a sign, a wonder, a miracle. Um, I'm not saying that we, who does it? Is it the Catholic people do that? I don't, I think people stand in proxy for the dead. I'm not saying don't stand in proxy for nobody that's dead, y'all. That's over, okay? That's just that's over and done with. So we're not to die and win. So yeah, so, but you know, stand in proxy for someone that you're interceding for that needs a breakthrough. And um, so I, and then we're gonna pray for you. We're gonna anoint you with oil. And we don't even have to know the details. We don't even have to know the specifics because listen to me, miracles are not hard because we're not doing them. We don't have to do anything. All we have to do is make room. That's all we have to do is go, I'm just carving out a space here. That's all I'm going to do. And so anyone who wants a touch like this today, I want you to stand up to your feet. That's why I didn't ask you to say them when you got back. Miracles are easy because we're not doing them. That's good. Okay. Some of them are going to come around and anoint you all with oil. So just all three. Do all of y'all have oil? Oh, yes. Oh, that's awesome. Wow, that is so good. Okay. And I'm going to begin to pray. And as they're anointing you with oil, they're just going to anoint your forehead. And this just is, this is what the Bible tells us to do. Are any sick among you? 
Then let the elders of the church anoint you with oil, and the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And so we just want to do what the Bible says, right? And we want to make room for the Lord to move. So right now, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for the oil that represents your anointing, that represents your precious Holy Spirit in our lives. And God, each one of these that have stood today, God, have something or someone that they are bringing before you, Lord. They have an issue. They have a a disease, a sickness, a loved one, possibly a prodigal, Lord, that they are standing in proxy for today in intercession. God, I lift these issues up to you, and we ask that today, Lord, that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done here on our earth, here at Life Church in Sisterhood this morning, even as it is in heaven. We ask God for you to do what only you can do, and we thank you that you taught us in your word that these signs will follow those who believe. And we want to say this morning, God, we believe. We extend our faith into the the realm of belief. We believe, God, that anything you've done in the past, you can do again. Anything that's happened before, you can do it again, God. And so we are looking to you, Lord, to move on each of these issues. Each one of our sisters, God, we ask that you would come and that it would be something that um, they would one day be telling their grandchildren about, that it would be such a shift from something that has seemed like it's had a log jam in it for way too long. So this morning, God, we ask that you would reach in and pull the log jam out and that things would start flowing again, that it would open up, God, your kindness in our lives, that your healing would flow, that your grace would flow, that your hope would flow into our lives, God. We ask, Lord, that you you would do what only you can do. We love you, Lord. We thank you that you are the kindest one that we know. We we envision ourselves right now, God, taking these issues to the foot of the cross where you paid for every single bit of it. And so, Lord, we thank you for it. We, we say today, Lord, that um, we trust you. We surrender fully to you, and we praise you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen and amen. I hope you guys get some breakthrough in those places. I'm believing for it this week. And as you go today, please pray for the women that will be here tonight too, because it's always a big group at night too, and they will have issues too. So just at dinner time, y'all think about us and pray for us, okay? I love you. We'll see you next week.